0: Today, uh, a few um, verses before that, Colossians 2.20, this is a letter written to a church in a city called Colossae. That's why I'm assuming we have the name Colossians. It was written by the Apostle Paul who planted and started a lot of churches. Uh, He actually didn't start this one. He heard uh, of what was happening there and they heard about some potential distractions that were going on. And so he writes them a letter and says be rooted and centered in Jesus. Everything you need is what we've been talking about the last two weeks, to root your life and center your life around Jesus. We center our lives on all sorts of things. But today, before we get to chapter three, and I'm gonna be talking about identity, and you should have all received a mirror when you came in. Most of you received a mirror when you came in, yeah? Great, so that should make no sense to you, and that's good. Colossians 2.20. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces, Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? So he's saying, if you're really rooted in Jesus, if this is where your identity is, do not handle these rules of don't handle this, don't taste, don't touch. These rules, which have to do with things uh, that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. Yet they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. They lack any value. He's saying when you get lists, when you get lists of do's and don'ts, they really don't have any value to curb the stuff that's not good in your life. Wherever you're coming from and however you see your own morality, ethics, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, right, we, we wanna submit ourselves underneath this book, underneath the scriptures, But regardless of where you are on the spectrum, everyone I know wants to be better, like wants to get better, wants to like sharpen this edge, get better at their craft. But specifically when you come down to it, I've met very few people who are like, I frankly am doing all, like I've got all the love I wanna give. I've got all the patience and all the self-control I wanna give. I'm not really looking to increase that. I'm sure there are some out there. Maybe you're there and you're like, actually, yeah, I would only like this amount of love. Good on you. May God have mercy on your soul. But right for most of us, we want more. And so whether you would subscribe to various lists in the scripture of what it means to live the life of heaven, like the, the, the greatest way to live is what Jesus is, is in some ways presenting to us. We, we want to get better. And the way we do that often and specifically, I find religious folks love lists. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't. This is what we do for our children. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do that. He says you can add lists to a church, and we don't know all the details of what's happening. But apparently, there's this different ideas of if you just kind of like put this, put these uh, these these lists up in front of you and you really adhere to all of this, you, um, you'll really be spiritual, and you'll really be connected to Jesus. And he's saying they actually have no value. You can add lists to the church, but they lack the power to change. Lists are what cults do. Lists, right, are... are this isn't like an anti, like, like if you're a parent, don't help your kid know like right and wrong. This is like if the predominant language, Paul's saying, if you're adding all of these things to the central reality of who you are in Christ, none of this stuff is actually gonna get at the real change you wanna see. And so today what I wanna talk about in Colossians 3 is that we all live from a core truth. We all live our lives based out of things we believe about the world and about ourselves. There's something that is true about us, or something that's true about the world that causes us to respond, to live. Every action we take has a sense of identity behind it, whether we're aware of it or not. So a ridiculous example would be, I'm driving down the highway and I see somebody like burn past me at 90 miles an hour. Now for most of us in the room, what don't we do? Follow them and give them a ticket. Right? Unless you're a police officer, and even that, on duty, right, you usually don't follow, unless you have a road rage problem in a justice complex. Any of you out there? I'm raising my hand legitimately, like, ah, this is me. Anyone out there feel like they're, like, they should police the roads, though? I mean, come around, really? Yeah. Crosswalks, I know I talk about this all the time, but it just keeps coming up. It's like this sanctification issue for me. Like, someone's not crossing at a crosswalk. My, internally, I'm going, Learn to walk in a city. This is your pastor. May God have mercy on me. Right, but based out of your identity, if you're not a police officer, so don't, you don't go chase them down. If you were, you would go do that. There's a sense of like who you are is going to actually reflect what you do. And so what are the sorts of things that we're responding to? When we talk about identity, This is what we mean. What is true about you in every situation? What's true about you in every situation? So if your identity somehow affects how you live and what you do, and we're going to get back to the lists thing in a moment here, then what is actually your identity? Have you ever asked, like, like, take a minute and think, what is my identity? What are the identities that make up who I am? Where this comes from, the word, is what's true about you in every situation. What's the same about you? What's your unchangeable core? What's your unchangeable core? Because Paul's making this point in this text that there's something related to you becoming who you're called to be, you maturing, you getting rid of the things that are broken, and lists aren't gonna be the thing that does it, adding things to something that's true about who you are. This is what we're gonna unpack. What is the relationship there? And what is true about you in every situation? I asked my wife if she could give me like an example of uh, what's true about me in every situation. She has a hard time like, coming up with what would be something you know, kind of like humorous, some anecdotal thing, but the, she couldn't come up with something that she thought was good, but the thing that came directly out of her mouth right after I said it was uh, ridiculous. Thank you, honey. I love you, too. Like, you're just, you're kind of ridiculous. Uh, those of you who hung around with me, it's, that's, I guess it's sort of true. Um, I like to, uh, one example, I guess, would be, I love to play with words. I love to just, like, mishkad, and fanai, and kalatuna, and... And I just, like, I just love like messing around with words and then like rhyming things and like utter like blurbing. I just think language is so interesting and I love having fun with it. And it's just, it's ridiculous. So my wife's like, yeah, pretty much in every situation. Like I've seen you in serious counseling meetings just sort of like wanna break the ice and the way you break the ice is like oh. Like, you know, it's just, it's like not smooth. <laughs> just, and then I started thinking more about, is this really true, is this affecting my parenting? And I realized, and this may be true of other three-year-olds, it uh, it's just ampl- feels amplified in my house. My three-year-old um, walks around the house a lot, just going bee ba b she talks fine. Shnigalana na na nubada." Well, she gets stuck on a word. Some of you parents know where this is going. You get stuck on a sound. She got stuck on the sound one day, uh, the sound itch. And it was uh, Little witch, little clitch, little ditch, little snitch. And then she got to be. And then she saw the reaction that my wife and I had, which was like, ha, ha, don't laugh, don't laugh, don't laugh, don't encourage that. Right? But they're pretty sharp already by like three and a half. And so she like looks up and sees this like mommy and daddy, they are responding to this. And the comedian, her just starts to walk around the house going, little, 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 little. And by that point, we just lose it. So every once in a while, she just remembers this. So if my, if my daughter ever calls you that word, she has no idea what she's talking about. It's true about you in every situation, just like ridiculous. <laughs> What's identical about you? Where we tend to get our identity usually is in one of or most likely a cross-section of these three areas. What we do, what we have, and what we desire. What we do What we have, so what we do. Your career. This makes sense. What we our our craft is where we find meaning, especially if you do it well. Musicians and artists and creatives love this, right? Like this is I am, right? If you have a job that you love or a job you're doing well, I am this. That's a part of who you are, and we tend to derive a fair amount of our identity from what we actually do. It's easy. Second, what we have, our money and our possessions. Things that are given to us too that are even outside our control, right? So this is sort of an easy one, what we have, all right, I'm, I'm somebody who is wealthy, I'm somebody who is successful, I'm somebody who has my life together in these sorts of areas, right? But it even affects the things that are given to us outside of our control, what we have. Some of you are just spectacularly beautiful people, right? And so that's like part of your thing, like, part of my identity is I know I can walk in every situation. I can, like, get out of bed, like, having not showered at all and just kind of walk in a room, and I'm, I'm, like, kind of the good looking one. Right? The ugly one. The... Anyone got anywhere? Cheerleader. Anyone know that reference? Ah, oh, yes. A couple early internet era folks here. Right? What we, and this works in the opposite direction, correct? Like, I'm the one who's, like, awkward. I'm the one with the with the with the disability. Oh, I'm the charismatic one. I'm the charming one. I'm the one who grew up without a father. I'm the one who has that wound. I'm the one who's always the one who's like a little like I'm like the social misfit in every play. That is what is true about me in every situation. I am I am strange. You like this has been somehow spoken over to you by someone or you feel like this has been pushed down into you like to the deepest part of your core. And then third, what we desire. However I wanna express myself, there are no boxes for me. I hate the other two. Those two, (laughs) I would never derive my identity from that. I am me, right? Self-definition, whatever I desire, whatever I think is the best version of myself. This is where we derive sexual identity. I am attracted to X, therefore I am X, and that is my identity. That is who I am, or a part, of who I am, that is part of my core identity and gets pushed down. I love that, even highlight that one because that one's interesting because this, many, many writers have talked about. This is one of the first times, I don't know if it's accurate, the paint is still very wet on this, but many have been writing about how this is the first time we've, we've attached identity, like capital I, to like carnal desires in that sort of way, specifically sexual identity. So it's an interesting moment. So the problem is that you're forming identities around moving parts. You're forming identities around moving parts, some moving more than others, but moving. Right, you can lose your job. (laughs) You got massive amounts of school debt that cripples you from the thing you wanna do. Your creativity stops, right? Any of you just have writer's block and you're like, am I really creative? Am I really an artist? Can I really do this? And when you fail, And then you stop doing it and you say things like, I just, I feel like I'm like losing myself. Ever had a moment where you said that phrase, like I feel like I'm, I feel like I've just lost who I am. Yeah, yeah, these are the moments when we start to realize like, oh, I really see myself. Like something core about who I am is that. And when it's not working, things begin to fall apart. We are bundles of conflicted desires too. It's not just that things are changing, that things are conflicted. Every soul is a complex mix of spiritual and sexual and emotional desire. They conflict. How many of you want to have a great body? How many of you want to eat and donuts every single day? These are conflicting desires. They do not go together unless you have the metabolism of a, I don't know something that has a good metabolism you want to please god you want to please god you deep down know, like yeah i really do trust i mean how on earth is this christian thing still kicking around in the modern era how is it that all of these great people in this world have been followers of jesus how is it that when i come to church i've experienced this how is it that i've really tasted and seen the beauty of the love of god's grace i want to follow god but i really kind of want to do my own thing on friday night Just, so what's the most true thing about you? This is why identity matters. If you don't know who we are trying to get love from or the approval from, things are moving around rapidly. Because at the end of the day, whether it's approval from your peers, whether it's an entitled sense of I am who I am, which by the way is just a very cloaked version of I want other people to see me as they're the independent person and they don't care. Right, it's all there. Like I'm one of those people that doesn't care what others think. You probably are the one who cares the most, to be frank. Or you've been hurt so hard you're just callousing yourself. Right, so I, I think at the end of the day, we, we, we have to realize that we're trying to get love or approval or something from somewhere. And some of these identities that we're gonna see in a minute aren't inherently bad. It's just what's the truest thing about you. Jesus, when he starts his ministry, So think about starting something. Starting a project, starting a new job, starting a family, starting a marriage, starting a project. Jesus is starting his ministry, we read in Matthew three, verse 13. This will not be on the screen, so if you wanna turn in your scriptures to Matthew three, 13, It's it's on the screen, it's on the screen today. Thank you, Stacia. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus, John's like, I know who you are. I should not be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. Jesus is like, no, no, no. This is how this thing goes. This goes. That's another sermon. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. This is the kind of statement that comes at the end. You did a good job, you come home, dad's like, You're my son, whom I'm well pleased. It'd be awesome if your dad really talked like that. Right? You get the you get the, the accolades from your boss. After. After. This is my son who I'm well pleased. If you go on the next sentence in verse four in chapter four, this is an identity statement. The very next part of the Bible here is, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness and tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, and the text goes on. The first thing, the temptation is, are you really who God said you were? Do you, re- are you really sure? at the very beginning of his ministry, the beginning before anything else, hey, by the way, this thing goes well, this thing goes south, you kill it, you don't kill it, this is who you are. And the first temptation to Jesus is, are you really that? It's the same temptation we see in Genesis one. Did God really say that? Can you really trust him? Is he really where you can root your life in? Tempted into false identities. This, in many ways, is a passage about identity. Who you are matters. So then in Colossians 3, this is why we, then we read, okay, so what is true about you? Since then, you've been raised with Christ. So we've been raised with Jesus. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden in Christ. When Christ, who is your life, Appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. There's a lot happening here. And what I want to zero in on is this. This is who, Christ is your life. When Christ who is your life, Paul says lists don't work. What's better than lists is you've, I have to teach you actually who you are. In many ways, Paul is saying, and he has, makes this transition two other times in Colossians, he's essentially saying be who you are. Just be who you are. And this is not a be who you are in a, again, driven by desirous sense. Be who you kind of want to be. No, no, no. It's If you are saying, I, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Jesus. I trust what God did. I believe the good news about what God says is going on in the world and who God says that I am. I am somehow in Christ. Christ, I have been redeemed and rescued and loved and my sins don't count against me and I have no fear and and death, that I am a child, I am known, I, I can't do anything to like undo the work that God has did. Right, it's an announcement. It's not like a lightning bolt from heaven. It's an announcement that's been spoken over and he says, look, this is who you are. If you believe this, then just trust this, is, trust this is true and then live into who you actually are. Live into who you actually are. We're gonna keep pressing into this if you're confused. You have to keep pushing this down into you. Who you ultimately are is in Christ. Henry Nowen writes, from the moment we claim the truth of being the beloved, in other words, from the moment we say yes to Jesus, From the moment we say, I actually trust that I'm loved, that God did something in my life and in the world, I trust this, I'm beginning to believe this story is true about me, about everything, about atoms and trees and dirt and liquor and God's redeeming all of it and putting it back together and he's starting with me. I believe this is true, he says once you claim that truth of being the beloved child of God, we are faced with the call to what? be who you are, to become who you are. Once you claim the truth, you are faced now with the reality of becoming who you are. When you hear the good news, you receive it. You are in Christ. That, apparently, if you're a follower of Jesus, is your identity. This may help a bit, then, in this next quote from Tim Keller, making sense of the complexity of all the other things that we are. Because you're a graphic designer. You're, you're, you're doing well at your job, and you're, you're a med student. You're a doctor, you're a mom, you are awkward. (laughs) Just kidding. Identity, Keller says, is a complex set of layers for we are many things. Our occupation, ethnic identity, all of these things are part of who we are. But we assign different values to these components and thus Christian maturing which many have argued is really the point of the entire book of Colossians, how do you mature, is a process in which the most fundamental layer of our identity becomes our self-understanding as a new creature in Christ, along with all our privileges in him. All these things are true and we assign values. What do you assign far too intense a value? What becomes an absolute value? In other words, In other words, in other words, there are true things about you, and then there are truer things about you. There are true things about you, and then there are even truer things about who you are. He says, Christ is your life. It's not an identity built on moving parts or merit. Christ is your life. Know who you are in Christ and allow that to become, hear this, please, allow that to become the most valuable thing about you. Allow that to become the most valuable thing about you, the best thing about who you are. I joke when sometimes I have counseling meetings, Like before we get everything out of the way, I already know. I already know the most valuable thing about who you are. Loved, forgiven. You are free in ways that you have not actualized. You have no idea the strength and power available to you. You have no idea or you have some idea we got a ways to go, the purposes that God has on your life. Anyone believe that today? A little bit, the most val- what if the most valuable thing about who you are is that you are in Christ. Your life is hidden in Christ. There's one other way I'm gonna drive this home and then I'm, I'm gonna invite you to look at yourself in the mirror. You guys remember that SNL sketch that I am good enough, strong enough? Doggone it, people like me. Who is that? Stuart Small. You don't remember that? I'm getting old. SNL. Good times. That's what, kind of what we're going to do in a minute. Before we do this, two commands. This may help us get into this a little further. There are two kinds of commands in Scripture. One is indicative. Say indicative. These are facts. Facts. And then there are imperative commands. And these are commands. Say imperative. These are commands. Indicatives are facts. Imperatives are commands. Lots of people, especially, again, like I said, in religion, I think, love lists. They love telling people what to do. Anyone love telling people what to do? Anyone love that? Like I, <laughs> come on, deep down, you're like, I kinda am into patrolling things. I love telling people what to do. Or we hate telling people what to do, And we hate other people telling us what to do because it feels like a giant threat to our freedom. In the Bible, every single imperative is based on an indicative. Every imperative is based on an indicative. In other words, every command is based on a truth about you. You won't get the commands unless you get the why. This is why Christians get it backwards when followers of Jesus try to lecture folks about Christian morality or at least their version of it without telling people who they are, without giving them the gospel. There are some ridiculous ideas about the fruitfulness of what it means to live life and the flourishing that doesn't make sense. Peter says, Don't, it's not your job to judge those outside the church, stop it. Just keep telling people who they are. Sinclair Ferguson says this, this may help us here. Before ever any demand is made, the gift is offered. The announcement of good news precedes the challenge. The great gospel imperatives to holiness, right, do this, this is the best way to live, do this, watch this, are ever rooted in indicatives of grace that are able to sustain the weight of those imperatives. An example, flee from your sexual immorality. Before he says that, he says, you are bought with a price in a temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't treat sex like it's like nothing. It's not just two people touching. It's not just random. It's not just like, it's not just fulfill these like carnal desires. The Christian view is not like a reducing of sex. It blows it way open. It's like, it's it's saying, actually, you want to know what true sexual freedom is? You want to know what real freedom is? It's not treating this like it's just another random physical act. It elevates it and then says, this is then where it fits. Flee from sexual immorality. You're like, oh gosh, this is what's wrong with the Bible. It's like, no, no, because your body is a temple. Your body, like Paul starts sounding, you know, like, like how we see Buddhists maybe. Right? He's like, no, no, no. Everything is connected. The world is a it's a temple. There's something sacred in the Spirit of God's at work in you. There's something beautiful and sacred about literally everything you do, every physical act. It's not a detachment of like spirituality and physicality. Saying you are a temple. You're a temple. I mean, there's so many of these. Love your enemies. Love your enemies because it, and then in scriptures it, it says you were once enemies of God. In other words, like we our natural inclination is to rebel against God, to be almost to be an enemy of the very God who gives life. And we're told that God loves us and came and rescued us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son for us. So he can turn around and go, yeah, so love your enemies. Not like try really hard to love people who are the worst. No, no, no. Figure out who you are. I am somebody who like is deserving of wrath and I've been loved by the God of the universe. All right, that'll 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 preach. I am loved. You will do amazing things if you believe deep, 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 deep down that you are loved by the God of the universe. You'll just you'll start to do really crazy stuff. You'll think differently, and it's a truth we never get past. I've been saying that phrase, "You are loved by the God of the universe," for a good ten years now, in like a vocational form in some way or another. And I tell you, I have to preach that over myself every day. Every day, I need to remind myself of the implications when it comes specifically to loving my enemy. The 10 Commandments is the greatest list of all time, right? Here's a list, it's the list. What's the first commandment, anyone know? First commandment? All right, biblical literacy, we'll get there. Good job. All right, first commandment, we read about idols. But it starts, the actual 10 Commandment list starts with I rescued you out of slavery. The list, the do this, do this, honor your mother, don't commit adultery, the list starts with what? You were rescued, it starts with grace. This is, you are loved and set apart, so here's how we're gonna live together. I love you and pulled you out of slavery, so here's how we're gonna live. The imperative in Colossians 3 is you are in Christ. Whatever you believe is the truest thing about you will be your functional identity. For the Christian, the truest thing about us is that we are in Christ. This will be your functioning identity, what you believe about who you are. In Christ. Galatians 3, 26 to 28, gives us insight into this phrase. Paul is speaking to the Christians in Galatia. And he was reminding them, of their new identity since they placed their faith in Jesus. It says, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one in Christ Jesus. You ever heard someone say, I'm just a sinner? Nah, I'm just a sinner. Never heard that. Grew up maybe around the church, around religion. Nowhere in the scriptures are you to primarily identify yourself as sinners. Now we are. James remind us that we stumble in all sorts of ways, that we all come up short. But the first Christians insist that a powerful thing had happened in their lives. Like something that changed their fundamental identity in the core of who they were. They were convinced that in Hear this, in identifying with Jesus in his death, something in us dies. Paul even calls that person the old person. These first Christians believed, they believed that because of what Jesus had done, the old person who rears its head and tries to like win the day can be put fully to death that it wasn't the way we were created to live, that it has no real power over us, that we apparently have a new nature. This is huge. They are insisting. The scriptures are insisting, believe them or not, that something so epic has happened that these are the lives we once lived. It's not that we're perfect or don't struggle. It's that this new way of life is here. And involves And a constant conscious decision to keep dying to the old to allow Christ to continue being our lives and a different letter, a writer takes this further and insists that we are in some way and he uses the term a new creation a new creation so if you were to look at your mirror if you were to like look at yourself in the mirror you don't I mean, have to do this if you don't want I'd use this it's just a, a, something to hold on to and think about Like, what do you see? If you're here and somebody who has said, I am a beloved of God, I'm I'm adopted. I know the old part of me creeps up time and time again, but this is who I am. I'm just going to read some Bible verses, like, for you and over you. I'm being remade. I am not who I was. Jesus says, I'm in Christ. I've been adopted. When God looks at me, God sees Christ because I'm in him. In Christ Jesus, in Romans eight, it says, you are loved by God with an inseparable love. Galatians 3, 26, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. In Christ Jesus, everything you really need will be supplied. In Christ Jesus, the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. In Christ Jesus, you have eternal life. We're told, again, later on in Colossians, when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. God's view of me is Jesus, and Jesus is perfect. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Paul says. Did you catch that word? Holy. Not going to be holy one day. But wouldn't wouldn't it be nice if we were holy? But instead, you're a mess, but somehow holy. This is who you are. Pure, without blemished, unstained. And all of these passages were being told who we are now. Let us live up, Paul says, to what we have already attained. There is a person who we already are in God's eyes and we are learning to live like that is true. This is letting what God says about us shape what we believe about ourselves. And this is why shame has no place in the Christian journey. It's simply against everything Jesus is for. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And remember, you are in Christ Jesus. No shame. No list of what's being held against us. No record of wrongs. It has simply been done away with. We don't live like that anymore. We don't live from the lists. We don't live from the lists. It's no longer an issue. Beating myself up is not the point Beating others up about who and what they are not is going in the wrong direction. God wants people to see who they really are. Let us live up to what we have already attained. I am not who I was. Reborn, rebirth, remade, reconciled, renewed. Jesus puts it this way. You are in me and I am in you. And so when the first Christians go around telling people to repent, repent, to return to God, to return. One way you could put it is to return to who they were created to be. They insisted that people can count themselves dead to sin and alive to God. That they can actually count themselves dead to sin and you can count yourself that. We joke sometimes about like playing imagination games. I, I literally think this is important. And like just spend the next week if you're here and you're like, yeah, I don't know. Pretend. Start walking around like all this stuff is true. Can't hurt. Worst thing that's gonna happen to you is you're gonna be way more secure in your identity. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm serious. I I obviously genuinely believe this. I've given my life to given this message. Jesus did something, and God has pronounced something over all of humanity. And I have seen with my own two eyes when people begin to actually push this down below all the other identities that are there in their life, I've seen people just change. Radically for the better, every time. Like, I have to testify. I have to testify to the perfection of what happens when we allow God to dictate who we are. We begin to live lives not of entitlement, but of thanksgiving. You see pieces of this fleshed out in a lot of new age philosophy and ideas. You do, you see them pulled out. You see it like, like cloaked as like one with the universe language, which is great. And it's actually a thoroughly Judeo-Christian idea. But what happens is, is it actually still becomes lifeless because there's no real person. There's no real event. It's an abstract idea that we sort of conjured up from a sense of awareness. But there is no personality. There is no event. There is no flesh and blood. There is no God I can turn to. There's much to say there. And so when we sin and when we stumble and when we fall short of this identity, when we miss the mark, when we feel like, if I were to ask the question, so are you in Christ? Is your life Christ? Is your life Christ? If I were to ask that question to you, what probably comes up is a list of all the stuff that, no, my life is definitely not Christ. My life is definitely not Jesus. There's like really simple, simple invitations given to us. You admit it. You confess. I thank God that I'm forgiven. I make amends with anyone who has been affected by my actions, and then I move on. Not because sin isn't serious, but because I'm taking more seriously who God says that I am. We take sin really seriously in this church. We're one of those churches that actually say the word sin, not to like like hurt another brother, but like you will not find like Joel Olstein up in here. You will not. We will say it and name it. Like there is sin, you are jacked up. We acknowledge we can't help but look around at our world and see the systemic nature of the injustice and pain in our world. We're Christians, we name that stuff. We take it seriously, but we take way more seriously than that. That can't be the focal point. The focal point is on Jesus and what he's done for us. The focus is on the meal and the bread and the cup. The point isn't our failure. It is God's success in making me into the person he intended for me to be. God's strength, not mine. God's power, not mine. We cannot operate out of things that aren't the truest things about us. So is your life Christ? Is your life Christ? This is one of those commands. where we hear the words, yes, it is true about you by placing your faith in Jesus. When I say, is your life Christ? You don't go, oh, dude, Andrew, you have no way. I had a bad week. No, 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 it is. If you're here as someone who's a follower of Jesus, it is. So the awareness of who you are in Christ begins to change everything. I end with this, two thoughts, one about DNA and one about goodwill hunting. You ever seen those videos, the DNA videos? Have you seen that? It's been circulating around. It's this video where a bunch of people um, begin uh, to, uh, they have all these hang-ups culturally. They come from all over the world, and they go and they submit a DNA test, and then what happens is is the DNA test that comes back to them in two weeks and they learn what their heritage actually is. And you have all these like stories, people are literally crying in the room, you can go and look this up, where they're realizing how interconnected they are. Like people who had prejudice and people who are like, oh man, I can't, this is one guy who's, who goes off in his interview about like being, he's British, about being German and Turkish and all this backstory and hate and pain in his life that's like, Gosh, no, please no. And guess what? News German and Turkish. Feels a little bit like a setup. But you see this guy cry. You're seeing all these people, they begin to respond. One woman says, imagine like, like how we would really treat each other. We couldn't treat anyone like as enemies or see borders if we realize how interconnected we are. If we see how we all have each other's, you know, just looking at the, the global posture of humanity. You should go and look this up. They're blown away, like as they begin to learn about their their makeup, and then they ask the question, how will this information impact you? And they begin to share, I think this is gonna change how I see the world, how I see others. Think about this in terms of your spiritual identity. You are in Christ, it's like discovered, this is who you are, this is who you are now. Your family line, what's in you is a bunch of people who have no fear in death, a bunch of people who are loved. You are a tribe. Your tribe is one (laughs) that is global in scope. You are people walking around with the great security that you are lavished in the love of God, lavished in the love of God. Can you see how this changes everything? I should stop. I know I'm going late, but man, this changes everything. It's one of those fundamental things that as I'm even teaching about this, I'm like, he, I, feeling God begin to work me over in some areas of some stuff that I just don't trust. How is it that, this may not seem like a big deal, but for some of you who know sports, this is, one of the, like, the, the big assistant coaches in the Seattle Seahawks has decided he's got this massively, upwardly mobile career, and he's decided to quit and go to the mission field. Quit this incredible once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to leave. You ever heard people like telling stories of that? If your life is rooted in Jesus, then you aren't your vocation and you aren't climbing the ladder. So then you can begin to become aware of, okay, what's God really calling me to do? And so I don't really hold my job very closely. The climbing the ladder isn't part of the point, right? My desires and like who I'm like drawn to or how I think about like myself and others, when these things become subverted by who I am ultimately in Christ, this has massive implications for how I live. It changes everything. The world is telling you things about who you are and your choice is this, I end with this. Are you going to trust what the world says about you, what your desires, what your career, all these fickle moving parts, or are you going to trust God and what God says about you? I don't know about you, but I like God's vision of me better. God's vision of me is better. Even when I'm successful, even when I feel like I'm doing my job great, even when I feel like I'm kind of killing it. Even when these other identities I get a lot of worth from. I get a lot of worth from my like, set of identities I can lay out for you. But God's like, version of me, I'm like, wow, all of that could fall. And if I'm secure here, guess what it causes all these other things to do? Flourish, to be free, to be unshamed from death. I just like God's version of me far better. Because you're not just a homeless person. You're not like just the 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 the, oh gosh! You're not just like the kid the kid who's died like hit them like you're not you're not you're not just like the successful entrepreneur who works a lot. That's that's that, that if that's that's all you got, man. Ouch. Even great things, you're not just a loving husband or a loving wife who happens to be killing it right now. You're just on top of the world. Like everything's mountaintop. You're like, I hear all this. This is definitely relevant to somebody else. Like even that, it's not just like, oh, what if it falls apart? It's like, no, allow that thing to flourish because you're not like getting your worth from your spouse. They They can't bear the weight of your soul. They can't bear the weight of your soul. They can't bear the weight of your soul. They cannot bear the weight of your pain. They cannot bear the weight of your soul. Christ can. Christ can. Christ can. Rooted in that. I want to believe the story that God tells about me and who I am. Maybe it's time to look in the mirror and just, this is how we come into worship now. Your job is great, but you aren't your job. Christ is my life. We need these mantras. School is great. But I'm not just a Rizzi student killing it right now. I need to push. Some of us need to really push down past all these other identities that are great and true or really jacked up and broken who Jesus says that we are. And this is then the goodwill hunting moment. There's a scene in the film this really troubled kid is meeting with this counselor, really resistant, the Boston guy, really resistant, Matt Damon, to Robin Williams, who's the counselor. And he's just, he just doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't want to hear it. Robin Williams is trying to counsel him, trying to counsel him, trying to counsel him. And then there's this moment in the scene that he starts so awkwardly. It's Robin Williams and he comes up to Matt Damon and he's like, look, what your father did to you is not your fault. Right? There's this whole backstory he says like, what your father did to you is not your fault what your father did to you he's trying to hug him and it's like getting like he's like shut up dude stop trying and matt damon's character's like stop playing these dumb mind games in me He like hates that he has to go to this like shrink it's like he's like stop knock it off stop it he pushes him away stop messing with me man just stop he's totally resistant like all right this is one of your like little judo things you're trying to play and robin williams just keeps going what he did to you was not your fault what he did to you was not your fault what he, did you was not your fault. What he keeps pushing in and pushing it and then guess what happens finally what damon just breaks He breaks he starts crying and just losing it because he needed to hear it and he needed to hear it and he needed to hear it some more and then he needed to hear it a little bit more than that and he needed to shove it down in there he needed to hear that this thing that had happened that was shaping almost everything about his life He needed to hear someone and allow it to be unlocked and own that that thing that happened wasn't his fault. And I think for us as followers of Jesus, the joy, the freedom that we get is to say, I'm loved by the God of the universe. I'm dearly loved, holy, set apart. I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. I'm loved. The grace of God covers me. My sins have been forgiven. My sins have been forgiven. No, literally, your sins have been forgiven. God's making all things new. and God's redeeming things. God's redeeming. God wants to redeem me. Where am I not paying attention? God's redeeming me. This is what God wants to do. This is what God is doing. Can I get out of the way? Can I hear this? Can I shove this down? Can I allow this to become my identity? Can I just trust that this is true? Conversion is just saying, yes, I trust that this is true about who I am and about this story that is at play. Eckhart Tolle says you find peace not by rearranging the circumstances of your life, but by realizing who you are at the deepest level. Being centered on Jesus means we are not what we do or what people say about us. And we are not what we have. We are the beloved daughters and sons of God. So whatever you need to do in this space, in this moment here, that you need to do the Stuart Smalley thing and look at the mirror and go, I am loved by Christ, I am in Christ, I am in Christ, I am loved, I know I am loved, I am loved. You need to push some things down. Maybe God's brought to light someone in your life. You need to, you need to preach over. It's the power of words, right? You need to, you just need, you need to like beat, them. when we talk about beating people with the Bible, I often think of this, like reclaiming that idea, right? The lists of you just get your life together, right? That's the Bible beating like image we get. really bad, you know, fundamentalist preaching. No, no, it should be like, this is who you are. Like, like, like beating people with blessing. Don't tweet that. That wasn't good. Who do we need to pray for? Where do you need to own that this is true about you? Where does that silly little piece of mirror that will remind you of like how God actually sees you? There's how you see you. And maybe that mirror is foggy and distorted and a mess, but how, like, what if you were to see yourself as God sees you? What if you were to see yourself as God sees you? What if you were to see yourself as God actually sees you? What if you were to see yourself as God sees you? In Christ, covered love, set apart, free from death, purposeful.